this is the first part of a series that we're going to be teaching on, on what is lordship. Today we're going to talk about what lordship is. Next week we're going to talk about why lordship is necessary. And you say, lordship, what, what is lordship? Well, that's what this whole thing is going to be about today. You know, there's a, uh, Chuck Colson made a statement years ago. He said, the greatest challenge facing the church today is, is to reassert the lordship of Christ. I don't want to go too fast because I want you to let that sink in for a minute. I agree with his statement because I think that the world, that the church world at large has no concept of what it truly means to make Jesus Christ their Lord. I think that most people, unbelievers and believers, understand the concept of salvation. If you think you understand salvation, raise your hand. Salvation is really simple. Salvation is what happens when you, in your spirit, are convicted of your sins. You look to Jesus as your Savior. You repent and He saves you. He changes your life, makes you a new creature. A lot of people understand salvation. We spend in churches thousands and thousands of dollars a year on preaching and dramas and all sorts of programs to get that point across. So you're hard-pressed to find anybody in a church or anyone basically in the Bible Belt that couldn't give you a description or a definition of what they think is salvation. We get salvation. Salvation is that thing that you are clinging to because regardless of your uh, spiritual maturity level, if you're just a brand new baby in Christ or if you've been serving the Lord a long time, you understand one thing. You want to be saved because you don't want to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven, am I right? So we understand salvation. Salvation is that vehicle whereby we are changed from this person to the one that it's going to require in order for us to get to heaven. And that is where a lot of it stops. Most people don't make it any further than there. You say, and even in the church? Well, in the church, yeah, well, I mean, we hear some things. We, we receive more knowledge based upon that foundation. But I don't know that we ever spend enough time drilling down on that foundation and talking about what it means then to go from just being a believer to being a disciple. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a person that determines this is a person or a, or a principle, a concept that I'm going to get behind and I'm going to follow this for the rest of my life. So a lot of people make decisions in churches and outside of churches for this salvation thing, this experience whereby they get to go from hell to heaven. There's a lot of people do that. A lot of people understand that message and they come down and they even shed tears sometimes. They cry and they pray and they get saved and they walk away and sometimes it goes no further than that. It was either a genuine experience and they don't grow upon it or else it wasn't a genuine experience. It was simply an emotional response to something that they heard but it did not change their lives and they have not understood lordship. My question to you this morning is this. Can, is it possible for Jesus to be your Savior and not be your Lord? For the next several weeks, we're going to be hammering on that. 
Is it possible for him to be your savior and not your Lord? I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that hope it is. There's a lot of people that hope that it's enough for him to be savior and not requiring lordship. Hmm. Years ago, Gallup conducted a poll. I want to read you their findings of that particular poll. I quote, religious interest has been growing at an unprecedented rate. Yet during the same period of time, immoral behavior has also been growing at the same rate. The study showed, listen to this, that there is little difference between those who go to church and those who do not. The, I quote this, the results of this poll in this statement. Listen to this. People feel like religion is a personal matter having little effect on how they live their life. That, my friends, is the difference between someone who thinks they know salvation and what is lordship. If a decision, the tears that you prayed, have not changed your ideas, have not changed your motives have not changed your heart, then all you did was pray a prayer. And a lot of people that have prayed prayers who think that they have been changed by that and now they're going to heaven are believing a lie, I believe. It's why you hear me whenever I talk about the salvation experience, the way that I really come at it from, from different angles from time to time, I don't make it easy on people because I don't think it's an easy thing. I'm not just going to get, if I, you know, if I thought I could just get up here and get, if everybody would just repeat a prayer after me. Now, I do that sometimes, but it's for people that are, that are genuine. If I just got up and said, everybody in this room, repeat this prayer after me, and you could repeat that prayer after me and not even think about a word that I'm saying. You could just be just listening and repeating after me. And then I would say, now you're saved. And you wouldn't be saved. That won't save you. What will save you is a conscious, willful desire to turn from your sinful ways, to become a new creature in Christ, to accept Jesus not only as the person that's going to help you escape hell, but the person who from now on is going to run your life. That's salvation that's lordship. Got your attention yet? You know, I don't want to talk ill of the dead. I, I, I saw this week where, where that the former, um, the governor, former governor of New York, Mario Cuomo had passed away. And it reminds us of, uh, of, of something that he once said when he was asked about the subject of abortion. I quote him. He said years ago, he said, I am a Catholic and a member of the Catholic Church. And I accept the views of the Catholic Church on abortion. However, as a public official, I have to uphold the law. And I am under no obligation personally to oppose it as long as the majority of people favor it. What? How can you say that you're a Christian or even a Catholic and not hold to and live by and promote the teachings of Jesus and the Bible, whether you're a public official or not? 
Regardless of your station in life or job you have or where you are, they, no one should be able to dictate to you the values and the beliefs that are in your heart based on the Word of God, not based on the laws of man. It's all about lordship. Hmm. I want to share a religious puzzle with you. You got your paper there? Write these down. I'll go through them really quick. A religious puzzle. Out of all the church members in America, first of all, 10% cannot be found. It gets worse. 20% never attend church. 25% never pray. 30% never read a Bible. 40% never give of their finances to a church. 50% never attend anything but a Sunday morning service. 60% never give to any type of mission project. 75% never assume ministry. 85% never go to anything that happens at the church through the midweek. You ready for this last one? 95% have never won one person to Jesus. Yet 100% of them think they're going to heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's who's going to heaven. Did you get that? That's very important. Did you get that? Not everyone that claims this is going to get this. Only the one who does the will of our Father who is in heaven belongs to the kingdom of God. So for the next several weeks, I I want us to make a commitment to each other. My commitment to you is that I am going to do my very best to communicate to you through teaching and preaching what Jesus says about lordship. That's my commitment to you. Your commitment to me would be that you're going to obey what Jesus said about lordship. And if we commit to each other on that, and I do my part and you do your part, at the end of this series, all of us are going to be walking at a higher plane in our relationship with Christ. Guess what? Happy New Year. It's time to get better. Some folks that don't want to get better don't hang around with me because they don't like some of the things that we delve into in Scripture. But we're going to get better. How many of you want to get better this year? If you want to get better, say amen. We're going to kick off the New Year right. The way we get better is with a truthful Idea about lordship. It's the place to start. What is lordship? That, that paper that I gave you gives five, def, five definitions. They're letters A through E. And I'm going to list those for you as we go and let you write those down. You say, why are you doing that to us this morning, Pastor? I just think that sometimes when we slow down a minute, we write something down. We commit it to our spirit better than if we don't. So a lot of times with notes, I'll write things out. I, when I write it, it causes me to commit it to my mind. So today we're going to do a little writing together. 
The first one, letter A, is this. These are the definitions of lordship. The first definition of lordship is this. Lordship is accepting the sovereignty of God. Lordship is accepting the sovereignty of God. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. A man with a serious skin disease came and bowed down in front of him. The man said to Jesus, Sir, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, so be clean. Immediately his skin disease went away and he was clean. That's a very simple illustration of this point. You say, how? What's that mean? You have to understand what sovereignty is. The definition of sovereignty is this. The person who is sovereign is one who possesses and exercises supreme authority over an individual or a group. This is the acknowledged leader. This is the person who has the controlling influence. And basically what we're saying is this is the person in charge. The verses of scripture that I just read to you, there was a man that that the scriptures called a leper. He understood that God was sovereign. What does that mean? He understood that God in the form of Jesus was capable because he was over everything. He was the ruler of all things. There was nothing that he was not over and thereby had the ultimate authority to change the circumstance of this man's life. He yielded to that sovereignty. He was good with that sovereignty and it changed his life in a positive way. All of us are going to have to at some point in our life deal with the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. That means he knows better than you. That means that he is in control of all things. He can do anything that he wants to do. And the sooner that we get good with that, the sooner we'll be good with life. Because you have to accept the sovereignty of God or you can't pray the nevertheless prayer. The nevertheless prayer is the prayer that gets us through life. It's the one that says, God, I'm praying selfishly, but nevertheless, your will be done. That's how we all pray. I'm just breaking it down and being honest. I tell God that all the time. I can't help it. God, you know I'm going to pray selfishly because that's why I'm praying. I want things to go my way. But if they don't, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to believe in you. I'm still going to be for you. God, I'm still going to live my life for you. Not going to make a bit of difference. See, that's accepting the sovereignty of God. To know what I want, but if I don't get it, it must be because what I wanted wasn't best. But the one who's sovereign knows what's best. So before I pray my prayer, that's why we always get a prayer answered. It's either always yes, no, or later. But he answers every prayer. We're good with yes and we can get okay with later, but we don't like no. But when we understand the sovereignty of God, we finally get to a place of maturity where we say, well, God, you're sovereign. You know what's best. So if you answered no, it must mean that no is best. And I'm okay with that because you know everything and I don't. This didn't go my way, God, but I still love you. Because you're sovereign. The first thing you got to understand about lordship, the first definition of lordship is that you have to accept the sovereignty of God. If you're a person that simply prayed a prayer, but now in your immaturity, you're walking around and things aren't going like you want. So you say, well, I'm not given. I'm not going to go to church. Don't do me no good anyway. God don't do what I want. 
You don't understand the sovereignty of God. And you're either, I'm not trying to call you names, but you're either very spiritually immature, at which point we've got to keep bringing you along, or you're not born again to begin with. A person that claims to be a Christian, but gets angry at God, quits giving to God, quits going to church, quits listening to the word, that's a person that has not submitted to the sovereignty of God. The person that submits to the sovereignty of God says, God, no matter what, like Job, even if you slayed me, I'd trust you. And God said, well, I'm not going to slay you. That's not what I'm about. But even if you did, God, I would still trust you. If you want salvation, then you've got to accept lordship. He's going to be your savior and save you. He's got to be your Lord. He's jealous God. It's not, that doesn't mean that, that he's like a, like a jealous husband, but he's jealous over those that are his children. He's jealous over you. He loves you and he wants you all to himself. He wants you all to himself so he can do good things in your life. And when you're fighting against that because you don't accept his sovereignty, you put yourself in a bad spot. You want to have peace. You want to have joy that we talk about? You want to have those things? Then accept the sovereignty of God. He's Lord. He's God. He knows all things. C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, In God you come against something that in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, then you do not really know God at all. All great men and women of God understand and accept the sovereignty of God. We're not going to settle any issue that amounts to much in our spiritual development until we settle the fact that God is the owner, the controller, and the sovereign of everything in life. Once we can do that, then we can move on. B. Lordship is placing God first in your life. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which, which is the greatest com- of, of the commandments? And Jesus answered him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. That's the one right there. The second one's like it. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. And all of Moses' teachings and the prophets depend on those two commandments. How important is that commandment right there? It's paramount. It's above all the rest, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, that, that, that one is so important that verse 37 is the very first verse that a little Jewish child memorizes. Jesus said in verse 40, All the law and all the prophets hang on those two commandments. Love the Lord your God first and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. All that means all 613 laws. You said, I thought there were 10. Read it again. All 613 laws hinge on those two. The first of the 10 commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, this God had all of me that there is. Others have had greater plans and greater opportunities and greater potential than I. But from the day that I had a vision of what God could do in my life, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth that there was. That's the decision that you have to make. 
if you're going to follow Christ. He's got to be number one. He can't be number two or number three or number four. So when you sit down, you begin to prioritize the most important people in your life. I tell you, I, 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 you got to understand that while I'm, while I'm putting this, while I'm, while I'm preparing this, I'm, I'm living this out in my spirit. I'm saying, God, can I, can I, can I do this? And I, I get to this one. I'm like, okay, who, who would I list as number one in my life? Well, you know, naturally, if you start on the earth, you're going to talk about your spouse and your children, your grandchildren. That's, you say, well, you think God wants me to love him more than them? God wants you to put him before them. He knows that you probably aren't capable, perhaps, of loving him any more than you. How much can we love? We can't even describe love. We can't define love. So we, we know that we love God. We love people. We love those in our life that he's given to us. We understand that the best that we can. But what is God asking us to do? He's saying, I want you to make me number one. Uh-oh, hang on. Which means that in your priorities, it's not you and then your family and then your job and then God. There are some believers who say they are Christians and that is their list of priorities. If that's your list of priorities, you haven't gotten it yet. What does, it, what does it really mean? What, really, what it really means is this. Who do you choose when you have to choose? What do you choose when you have to choose? I, I, I think all of us would like to believe that if someone walked in this morning and put a gun to our head and said, you know, denounce Christ, we're going to shoot you, we'd all say, well, you have to shoot me. We all want to believe that we would do that. And probably most of us would, and I don't know that it would be based so much on the love as the fear, because a lot of us would be like, well, I got to do this because I don't want to go to hell. So it's not so much that I love him, but I don't want to go to hell, so shoot me. Right? God is saying, I want you to love me. I want you to love others. I've given you the capacity to love a lot of people. Because God is love and then God has instilled that part of himself into us. We have the capacity for a great deal of love. We can love a lot of people. But God knows that we can love him a lot too. And what God is asking for is that our commitment would be, first of all, priority number one. I'm making God my first priority. People all around this world are having to make this decision every day. There are people that are dying, literally dying, because they all they are are Christians. The only, the only thing they've done wrong is admit that they were a believer. And they won't denounce that, and so they're killed for their faith. It happens all the time. Thousands of people a year are killed simply for their faith. We're not asked to do that in the United States. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. But God is saying, I just, I really want you to grapple with the concept of my position in your life. This is not just about me saving you and taking you to heaven. This is about lordship. And are you going to give me my place in your life? Am I going to be number one? I'm told that when an immigrant becomes a citizen 
of the United States that there comes a time where that they have to pledge 100% of their allegiance to this country and they have to renounce former citizenship. That's difficult, but I think about that and I, the more I think about it, I think, and that's the way it ought to be. We need to know you're on our side. Huh? If you want to be here, then be one of us. Some folks are looking down right now. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, I'm looking at you. I'm telling you that if you're going to live in this country, then you need to live and die for this country. Or go to the country that you will. Pastor, so politically incorrect. It's never been my goal to be politically correct. That illustration is also what applies to our spiritual life. You say, well, man, you're, man, you're right. You're confronting right in our face. You're telling somebody they've got to renounce their country if they want to be a part of our country. And God's saying, you've got to renounce your old team if you want to be on my team. That's lordship. You don't get to play on that team anymore and still have the benefits of this team. So many of us love Jesus as our Savior, but when He asks for the keys of our heart, we refuse Him. How many times have we given Jesus most all of our life? How many times have we gone to an altar and we said, Lord, I surrender almost all. I surrender a great portion. I surrender a lot. And then when God says, hey, let's take the key and unlock this closet over here, we say, let's leave that one for now. We'll get around to that one later on. God, can't you just be satisfied with all of these areas? Let's leave a couple of those. And he's saying, I can't be satisfied until I become the Lord of all of your life. Lordship's putting God first in every area of your life. Number three, letter C, lordship is accepting responsibility and accountability. Did you hear that? Accepting responsibility and accountability. Matthew 25, 14. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a trip. He calls the servants and trusted some money to them. He gave one man $10,000, another one $4,000, another one $2,000. Each was given money based on his ability. You heard me preach on that a lot too long ago. Then the man went on his trip. Verse 24, then the one who received $2,000 came and said, sir, I knew that you're a hard person to please. You harvest where you hadn't planted, you gather where you hadn't scattered any seed, and I was afraid. So I hid your $2,000 in the ground, but here's your money. Let me give you some observations about the story of the talent. First of all, understand God, God's the owner of all things. He's the one that gives us all the blessings, the abilities, the talents, everything that we have. God is the one that gives it to us. So, so lordship is accepting the fact that everything you are and everything you have came from God. Now, having said that, let's look at these observations. The first one. Verse 14 says, God has entrusted blessings to us. These are just transcultural truths. Story of the talent. This applies to my life. What, how does this apply to my life, Pastor? Number one. God has entrusted blessings to us. So your talents and your blessings come from God. That's first. Number two, God's gifts are not equally given. And some people are bothered by that fact. They, they, they don't think that that's fair. But I believe that we increase our gifts and our talents and our abilities when we use them for the kingdom of God. 
I also think that it's possible, it doesn't happen all the time, but I also think that it's possible that some of the gifts that we have, when we don't use them for the Lord, they diminish and we lose them. Not always, but sometimes. So whether you think it's fair or not, the scripture said they was given these talents based on their abilities. The third one is these observations. People respond differently to what God has given them. Verses 16 through 18. Everybody responds differently. Number four. All of us are going to be held accountable for what we did with what God gave us. That's verse 19. What are you good at? The reason you're good at what you're good at is because God gave you that ability to use it for him. And it just so happens that he allows you sometimes to make money with it too. That's the neat part of it. He says, use it for me and then do whatever you want. I mean, if you want to make money with it, great. I gave you the talent. But use it for me first and then. Hmm. And number five, all of us are going to be rewarded for how we developed God's blessings. Verses 20 through 30. But I want you to notice something about verse 24 through 25. See verse 24, 25? Here's the, here's the thing that I, that I take from that verse. God never wants back from us what he gave us in the same amount. He always wants it back after it's been invested wisely. He wasn't happy with the guy that hit it in the ground and then just presented back to him the same amount. He wants to know that what he has done in your life, that you have done something with that spiritually for the kingdom of God. So that then when you give an account someday before the Lord for your talents and your blessings, and God says, wow, I gave you the ability to sing, or I gave you the ability to teach, or I gave you the ability to love, or I gave you the ability to, to give money, or I gave you the ability, whatever it might have been. And then he says, and look what you did with that. Man, you were awesome. Or why did you bury that? You're going to stand before me now and present me back your gift, having done nothing with it. Lordship is saying that everything that I have that God has given me belongs to God. He's loaned it to me, but I am responsible to use it for him and I am accountable for the way I use it. That's lordship. And the world doesn't want to hear that. I want to be saved, but I belong to me. I'm the one that made this money. I'm the one that worked this job. I'm the one. I don't want anybody telling me how that this is going to be spent. I don't want anybody telling me that God wants 10% of it. But I don't want to hear all that. I'm the one that gets up every morning early and goes to work. I'm the one. I, I, I. And God said, no, you don't breathe unless I let you. Your attitude toward the issue of lordship will determine the way that you use what's been given to you. So you had two men, look at this. Two men looked at the master's expectations as a blessing. Write that down. But one looked at the expectations as a burden. You see that in the story? Two saw that as a blessing, one saw it as a burden. What, what's the lessons that we learn from the parable of the talents? First of all, our responsibility is clear. That means we have to develop the talents God's given us. It's our responsibility. And secondly, our accountability is certain. Someday we're going to give an account for what we did with what God gave us. Someday you're going to answer. D. Lordship. This is the fourth definition of lordship. Lordship is doing the will of God. 
Matthew 7, 21. Here it is again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the person who does what my Father in heaven wants. And then he's going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we force out demons? Didn't we do miracles by the power and authority of your name? Then I'm going to tell them publicly, I've never known you. Get away from me, you evil people. Therefore, everyone who hears what I say and obeys it will be like a wise person who built their house on a rock. What you do is far more important than what you say. Not everybody that professes Christianity is saved. There's a great, a great portion of Christianity that's based on easy believism. And that's not biblical. It's a, it's a product of man's own mind. If you, if you, if you look, act, sound, do. And when I say look, I'm not talking about your appearance as far as, you know, what you wear or your hair. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you look, sound, talk, and act like the world, then you're not a part of the kingdom of God. You hear what I said? I, I said I'm not talking about whether or not you have on, ladies, if you have on a dress, if you have on pants today, or guys, if you have long hair like me or short hair like some of you. And I'll just tell you right now, when I had hair, it was long. And if I had some, I'd have it again. I liked having long hair. This is not about that. This is not about that at all. When I talk about easy believism, it's this attitude of I am going to pray a prayer. I'm going to profess to people, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to live like the world. And that won't get it. That is not lordship. Until we look like, act like, perform like, and live like Jesus, we don't really belong to Jesus. Somebody say amen. It's like the fellow that had heard his pastor talk about lordship and he went home and he started to pray because he felt convicted. So he said, Lord, use me. And then he got quiet for a minute and then he added to it. He said, but in an advisory capacity only. Some of y'all get that in a minute. How many times do we put PS on the end of our prayers? But you can't put PS on the end of your prayers. You say, God, I'm yours. Period. God, I love you. Period. God, I'm going to serve you. Period. Not, God, if you do this, I'll live for you. God, if you do this, God's saying, I don't need you to do any of those things for me. But you really need me to do this for you. Hmm. The formula for lordship is this. Seek to know is learning. Because you can't obey until you know. B, or the second one, act to show equals lordship. Now let me explain what those two mean. A lot of people know because they sit in these type of audiences and they take in. Okay? Stay with me for a minute. So... We are constantly as believers coming to the house of the Lord and we are taking in information. 
lordship is acting on that information. There's a lot of Christians who are educated way above their level of obedience. Do I need to say that again? <laughs> You'll get that too in a minute. So for most, for most believers, we don't need more preaching and teaching. We don't need more knowledge. What we need is more obedience to what we already know. Because learning is a whole lot easier than doing. Man, well, there's a lot of people that can, that can spout out all kinds of stuff they've heard in messages. But it's not about a preacher standing up and trying to impress you with, with their vernacular or their, their verbiage or, or the, their phraseologies and their theologies. It's not about that. The preacher's that's not his job. That's not his goal. His goal is to put information into your heart that then you will act upon. It's not enough for you to know. It's not enough for me to know. I got to do this. I got to do it. Jesus said that our, our actions would back up our professions. And if our actions don't back up our professions, then we're not a part of the kingdom.